The following conversation is with Barry Long. Barry Long is a venture-seeking human being, a guy I know you will love the moment you hear him talk about adventure as well as his pursuits. He's a motivational speaker, consultant, but also a real estate agent. And I do believe he will become maybe one of the first accessibility-focused in reality TV. Yes, you heard me right. Barry has a great perspective when it comes to living a life with accessibility needs. And he talks about it in a way that's very personal because he's in a wheelchair. And that wheelchair happened due to his pursuit of thrill-seeking. I believe you will love Barry and learn a lot about what it means to live with the need for accessibility and why it's important to be aware of accessibility. As we get older as Americans, we need more information, more ideas about accessibility and what that looks like in the world of real estate. And you will love how Barry is influencing the real estate world. Barry Long. So you've always sought a life of just going after it. Adventure, risk-taking. Where did that come from? Birth. Okay. Yeah. So you came out of the womb like... I'm going to be Superman. I was that guy. Okay. I was that guy who wanted to go see how fast he could go, how far he could go. Um, yeah, much to my parents' dismay. Yeah. And that has not stopped. No, I just, I'm just, I got taller and then I got shorter again. That's about it. <laughs> so we'll get into that. But was, what was your biggest first adventure? We have a property on a little island called Whidbey Island up north of Seattle. And my great-grandfather bought it back in the uh, 20s or 30s and it's right on the beach so as little kids my best friend chuck and i would just go for hours and adventure down the beach and climb up onto the cliffs and we found a, an old boat and we were pirates i mean it, we were the goonies <laughs> way before the goonies that's goonies. funny <clears throat> and that really it was it was adventure it was like let's go see how yeah. far let's go find a treasure let's go do this and my mom was super cool with letting us just go be boys so one of the things that you've also done is you've gone, gone bungee jumping. Yep. And you've gone, you've lived in Alaska as uh, working for a, a lodge. Yep. And, fishing uh, and hunting fishing. lodge. Yeah. You've also uh, uh, recently had done some uh, fast driving in a car. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. hilarious. Yep. It's pretty cool. So all that kind of, you know, being that who you are and seeking adventure. It also was part of the moment that you ended up in a wheelchair. That's right. Yeah. That's right. It's, it's adventure. It's adrenaline. It's risk taking. Yeah. It's, um, it's, I've got to go a little bit faster every time. Mm. And yeah, I, yeah. I was a fishing and hunting lodge uh, or a fishing and hunting guide up in Alaska and was down in Portland doing the sportsman show. And I put my motorcycle in the crate and sent it to every sportsman show. So I'd have transportation. Oh, cool. So I was there advertising for my lodge, telling people, you know, where to go to Alaska <laughs> to come fish nice. with us. And on a Sunday morning, about 1050, I was just hauling ass to get to the show from where I was staying. And I went to pass four cars at the same time. I pulled out to the left. And then as I went by those four cars, one of them had his left blinker on and I had crossed a double yellow line was passing through an intersection and he turned left and his front bumper hit my back tire. And I went uh, about 75 feet across the pavement, <clears throat> went between a telephone pole and a stainless steel ground cable. And how I missed those, I have no idea. That's amazing. I flew off an embankment, 
I hit a cement flight of stairs and I stopped by hitting a building, concrete building. And I shattered my spine, broke my back from my chest down and ended up paralyzed and uh, in a wheelchair. So yeah, there was a little bit of risk taking, a little bit of adventure, a little bit of speed, a little bit of all those things. Yeah. You find out you're in a, you're paralyzed. You, you go through a lot of surgeries and rehab and, but that adventure and that risk taking has carried you through. How has that carried you through in spite of being in a chair? You know, it started day one, <clears throat> which is interesting. I, I just recently was completely reacquainted with all the nurses that were there when I first crashed, and they're all still dear friends of mine. And the conversation from my perspective was they helped me through it. Mm. <clears throat> and when I got to talk to all of them, they were like, no, Barry, you did this. So from day one of being in the, the ortho-neurotrauma unit was, uh, how am I going to get out of here and where am I going next? Um, no, obviously there were bad days, you know, I'm, I'm not going to belittle the fact that that sucked, but yes. my uncle Jeff showed up at my hospital bed with a 454 in a flat bottom jet boat because he lived at Lake Shasta or Folsom Lake and was like, Hey, as soon as you get out of the hospital, we're going to go ride in my new boat. I thought, well, dude, I got to get out of the hospital then. You know, what do I need to do to get the hell out of here? Yes. So the adventure also helped bring me back from that depth of this really sucks and life is going to be yeah. you know, challenging and over. And there were lots of can'ts in the beginning. Can't do this, can't do that. Well, don't tell me what I can't do. I think one of the things I love is, is having a goal. That's right. And that whole idea of a goal, especially when you're going through something difficult, I am going to, uh, I'm going to work towards being able to do this. Like get in the boat. Mm-hmm. And for, for me, getting in the boat is not a big deal. But for someone who's new to a chair, getting in a boat, that's a big deal. And so obviously, you know, having that goal. And and I think that was true for Nick Trout, our friend who uh, that you mentored in a wheelchair. Having a goal was significant for him to have a mindset that I'm going to work hard. I'm going to do this. And I'm going to come back to high school and visit Marysville Pilchuck High School. And, and that was uh, obviously a, a cool moment. How many other people have you mentored who's been in a wheelchair? Oh, I don't know dozens um when i first got out of the hospital and i you know i live in seattle i crashed in portland um i was in the hospital for months i mean many months and when i got back to seattle tried to embed myself into the the wheelchair community at first because i thought that was going to be my focus in my new life Mm. and it ended up being a subset but it it stopped being my whole life, you know, right away. And I realized that what you were talking about is so true. The goal setting thing. I mean, I started setting goals right in the hospital of how am I going to get dressed? How am I going to get out of here? Where am I going to go? You know, and the can'ts that people put in front of me were just opportunities instead of obstacles. You know, it's like, Hey, you're not going to be able to drive. Well, why not? I want a Mustang. Well, I got out (laughs) of the hospital and bought a Mustang. You know, you're not going to be able to travel. Really? I think about 19 countries, you know, and so it it ended up being this, the goal setting was what drove me to go and prove to myself, but also others, that I could still do whatever I wanted to do. And I just happened to be in a wheelchair. So, I mean, the the first goal that, that came up was I was laying in my hospital bed and they brought in a gentleman who was in a manual wheelchair. And he was supposed to come in and tell me, you know, what it was like to be in a chair. Now, I hadn't even been in a wheelchair yet. I was still pretty much in bed. So the perspective wasn't there, but it, it was okay because it, it leads to your question about mentoring. 
And he came in and he rambled on about a bunch of crap. And I really wasn't paying attention to him. He was kind of a doofus. And he actually, he finally said one thing that really resonated with me. He's like, kid, you got to set a goal for yourself. And when you set that goal and you accomplish that goal and you reach that goal, you'll know that your motorcycle crash was in the past and you can now live your life again. And I thought, all right, well, I always wanted to go to Australia, so sweet. So he left. Val came in, my nurse, and Val was like, oh, how's that? I was like, don't ever bring him back, but I'm going to Australia. And she just looked at me and went, what? Well, I'm going to go to Australia. She went, really? She goes, well, that's perfect timing because today you're going to start learning how to get dressed. You're going to Australia naked. (laughs) And, (laughs) you know, so that goal of uh, I now have a challenge in front of me. Um, And I found that it's perspective. Um, and, and everything in life is perspective, you know, and how serious it can be and how serious it is, is a matter of your own perspective because you see me and I mean, we've been friends for a long time yeah. and you see me in a wheelchair and you know me, so you don't do this, but most people, when they see me in a wheelchair, the immediate thought in their head is, Oh, that's too bad. I'm sorry. And people say it to me. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, what happened to you? Oh, I had more sorry crush. Oh, I'm so sorry. Like, well, it wasn't your fault. It's cool. And I get it because I see people that are worse off than I am. And my first thought is, whoa, I don't want to be them. But let's go back to that hospital stay. And I'm laying in bed and the, the goal setting of wanting to go to Australia was in front of me. So I had to learn how to get dressed. And it's a long story that I'm not going to give you the whole story. But what happened was I had gotten dressed and I was transferring out of bed for the first time. And I almost made it out of bed until I crapped my pants. My nurses put me back in bed giggling because that's who they were and that's who I am. And they changed me again and then I had to get dressed again. And then as I was getting out of bed, this is where perspective comes in. I was moving from where I had been for a long time, which was bed, into this thing called a wheelchair. And... To the general public, the wheelchair is a negative, but to me, it was freedom. Because if there wasn't a wheelchair, I have goosebumps right now. Yeah. If there wasn't a wheelchair sitting next to that bed, I'd still be in bed. So the coolest thing that ever happened to me was the fact that I got to get out of bed and get into a wheelchair. That's a great mindset. Yeah, it was. It was just, it was taking that hugely negative thing and going, hey, I'm going to go. Let's do this thing. Get me in the chair so I can go to Australia because I got to learn how to get dressed and I got to learn how to go to the bathroom and I got to learn how to socialize again and drive and travel and all these things. So to full circle myself back to your question about mentoring, when I got out of the hospital and I had I went back to school and I got into radio broadcasting and then I was going to, you know, go travel around the world was my goal because Australia was still out there. I found that the University of Washington and Harborview, our local trauma one, had a spinal cord injury unit and I got invited to go to a meeting there. And, you know, because I was focusing on being in the wheelchair and I realized that there were a whole bunch of people that were at this meeting that that's all they focused on, that the wheelchair became their life. And I realized that's not who I wanted to be. The wheelchair was part of my life, and it's an accessory that gets me where I want to go, but it is not my life. And I realized that I had a slightly different perspective than some of the others did, and it just became part of my life to change their minds. And in doing that, of saying, hey, you guys, I'm going to go backpack around the world. And they're like, well, how are you going to do that? Well, I don't know. I'm going to learn how to ask for help and I'm going to figure out how to get a wheelchair that I can travel with. And I'm going to figure out how to put a backpack on my back and my, I'm going to convince my best friend to come with me because I can't do this by myself. And then immediately Harborview and UW went, 
whoa, that's a really cool attitude. And, and I didn't create it, but it was just part of who I am to your first question yes. of when did it start? So then they had a small mentor program at UW. And the very first person I went into mentor was a quadriplegic. Now I'm a paraplegic, so I can't use my legs, but I can use my arms. And I went in to visit a gentleman who had paralyzed himself from the neck down and he couldn't use his arms. I went into his room. I looked at him and I went back out to the nurse and went, I can't talk to him. She's like, what do you mean? You're paralyzed. I went, yeah, I'm a para. He's a quad. I don't understand his life. I can't go talk to him. Go find a quad that can talk to him and give him life experience. So then the program evolved into, hey, whenever there was a paraplegic, you know, that had done something dumb like I did and ended up in a wheelchair, I'd go in and hang out and just show them a little photo album I had of me backpacking or bungee jumping or, you know, then when I got married, my wife and, and my kids, and I'd lay this little photo album on the bed, say, hey, you know what, man, I know your life sucks right now and you're really scared. I want, I'm just going to leave this photo album here and I'm going to run down and grab a coffee. I'll be back in 10 minutes. And I'd come back and they'd be going, is this your car? Is that your wife? Did you really bungee jump? Oh my God. Exactly. That yes, your life is super traumatic right now and it doesn't feel like it could get any worse, which means that it can only get better. You said something earlier I want to go back to, and it was when you first got into the chair, you thought your community was going to become people identified in a chair. And I'm going to use that word identified because you don't identify as being in a chair. You identify with being Barry Long. That's right. And Barry Long happens to be in a chair. That's exactly right. And so when did that, was that an immediate epiphany? Mm, I didn't want to be the guy that was like, I'm not like you. You're in a wheelchair, I'm in a wheelchair, but I'm not like you. Well, we're all different. You know? and, and it wasn't a negative thing. It was a progressive thing. Because at first I was very focused on the wheelchair because that was my life. I was learning how to be paralyzed. I was learning how to go to the bathroom again and learning sexuality and learning. And then I was learning travel and I went and bought my Mustang. But I bought my Mustang not even thinking about the fact that I was going to then have to find a company to put hand controls in it for me. So for me, the, the, it was this need for adaptability. Hmm. And the adaptability became really important because it, that adaptability was my accessibility because of my disability. So the wheelchair was a very visual aspect of my life now because now everybody sees it. And I didn't know whether, especially women at the time, I mean, I was 22 years old when I crashed. Were they going to be looking at me? Or were they going to be looking at the wheelchair? And if they saw the wheelchair, were they going to be scared of me? Because there's this stereotype of what somebody in a wheelchair might be. So back to your question of, associating myself i absolutely associate myself with the wheelchair and the disabled population i'm proud to be part of it sure it's one of the only minorities in the world if not the only minority in the world you can join um and i'm super proud to be part of that wheelchair and disabled community uh but it's not the focus of my my daily thoughts um well, actually, you know what? It's becoming that because I've got a TV show coming out and I'm writing a book and all of those things are because yes. of my wheelchair and, you know, Barry's Accessible World is our new show. And so I am focusing on on the chair. So it's been a really interesting progression that I, I do associate myself with, with those in chairs, people with disabilities, because that's who I am, but it's not who I am first. 
I am Barry yes. first, and Barry is this adventure-seeking dude who loves to have a good time and has shitty days just like everybody else, um, and who happens to be in a wheelchair. Yes. You know, so it's it's all perspective. It, it um, is. And, and you know what? I'm going to go back a little bit to what, what I didn't like about the, the initial group of people that I met in chairs, and not individually because some of them are still dear friends of mine. I love them to death. But collectively, the whole was uh, was focused on more of the negative. They would sit around and they would talk about all the bad things that were happening to them because they were in a chair. And I wanted to go out and travel and go figure out how to skydive and just turn it into this adventure. And And that's what I didn't like about it. Because when they would sit around and they would talk about personal things with each other, that I understand, and I still have those conversations with them, but sure. that's not the focus of what I want to talk about when I go hang out with my friends. So I just started hanging out with my old friends. I mean, the guys that I knew and the girls that I knew before I was in the chair, and they didn't care I was in a chair. Um, so it, it took a while for that for me not to be like negative towards the disabled population because in the beginning it was all negative. Yeah. And then over the course of time, that's changed. And now there's new organizations. There's one locally in Seattle called the Here and Now Project. And they're awesome. It's a bunch of quadriplegics that got together and realized, hey, we can all live our lives. Let's go do it Let's together. Do it. Yes. And and it's this super positive focus on how we can make life better for us and everybody else. And I absolutely love that. And I'm so proud to be part of that organization. So again, there's no negativity towards that population at all. It's just, we have slightly different mindsets sure. sometimes. So yesterday I, I talked to uh, Kaylee, this, this uh, young gal um, that I knew from when she was in high school and she made this comment that was really cool. And it was w when you're with your friends and let's say your friends are making like bad choices, you can be the friend that creates the change, the change agent. And I can see you being that change agent for a community of saying, hey, we know bad stuff happens. We do need to talk about it. But we also need to talk about where is our identity in? And our identity has to be ourselves, of who we are as a human being. And then also who we are as a human being who happens to be either in a wheelchair. Or for me, I was born with a cleft lip palate. So we had a speech therapist who would bring all the other cleft palates together and talk about how bad it was at school, how negative it was, and that's all we talked about. And I remember thinking, this is not fun. This is, this is you know, and I was a little kid at the time. Right. So thankfully, I had this second grade speech therapist intern. I had a crush on her, and I made oh, all helps. kinds of progress. It was amazing. <laughs> you know, I've, I found that in my public speaking Years ago, I, I just happened to say it once, and all oh, the feedback I got, I said, everybody's got their wheelchair, mine's just more obvious. I was just going to say that, because I, I, I was going to bring that up. I loved that, and I just said it one day, and didn't realize the impact that that was going to make, because everybody does. Everybody yes. has their thing, and mine's just more obvious, which is probably easier you know, for, for me than it is for somebody who's got, you know, we've been working with the deaf community lately with, with our show and I actually got to go to a deaf dance. Oh, it was so awesome. Cool. I didn't know it was an interactive workshop and I took my executive producer, Michael and my daughter, Grace and her friend and Michael's girlfriend. And we showed up and thought we were going to just watch a deaf dance to, to learn about it so we could somehow and, and bring it into the show. And it was an interactive workshop. 
And when we all figured it out, I just looked back in the audience and Mike, Michael and, and my daughter Grace were glaring at me like, what have you brought us to? And next thing we know, we're out on stage learning how to dance with no music from somebody who's never heard anything in their entire life, wow. who's teaching us how to keep time by learning how to count to eight in sign. And then we danced to Amazing Grace. Oh, wow. And by the time we were done, which was like two hours, all of us wanted more. And I'm speaking for everybody. The, at first, it was they're going to kill me. And by the time we were done, we're like, can we, learn another, can, can we learn another song? Because we got immersed in the culture yes. of the deaf community. It wasn't about the language, which I, which I didn't understand at first. That ASL is, is a cultural thing, not a a tr direct translation from word to word. It's a feeling and a thought. And so I've been, you know, learning to look outside of myself, Yeah, you know, and everybody's got their thing. We're learning that the deaf community feels like they're ignored and they are because when they come up to somebody at a Nord, I say Nordstrom, when they come up to somebody at a retail store and they're deaf and the person behind the counter doesn't know how to deal with somebody who's deaf, they'll walk away. Oh, wow. And, and they'll be ignored. So it's, it's learning how to communicate and educating people that, hey, you know what? We all have our wheelchair. We just need to yes. learn how to deal with each other's you know, situations. The, the first time I had a student who was deaf, um, I learned a ton because you know, I, I have an interpreter who's helping me walk through it. But also the, uh, the kid was brilliant. He was captain of the knowledge bowl team. Everyone was, you know, uh, could, could hear and speak. And he had a signer and he would sign back and he would like win. He was an amazing kid. And yeah. so he went to college at UPS, University of Puget Sound and became the college captain of their knowledge your knowledge bowl team or whatever they call it in, in college. Oh yeah. It was just incredible. It, it is. It's, it's been so fun, you know, working on some of these projects, you know, I, I have lots of irons in the fire. <clears throat> you know, I got into real estate and I think we'll talk about that a little bit more in a bit, you know, and we're filming this show, Barry's accessible world. And I've been, you know, kind of half working on a book of just putting some of these stories down. And what I've been amazed by is my own personal biases that when I'm learning about another disability and somebody who has a disability or the need for accessibility, and I realize that there's that I re remind myself, man, they're just people. Most of them are smarter than I am. You know, there's those that are funnier than I am. There's those that are, you know, more adventuresome than I am though. That's a pretty close one. <laughs> and it's awesome because I'm reminding myself, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm about ready to go skydiving with a woman who's got cerebral palsy. And they're tying her up in a knot to, to, you know, throw her out of an airplane and I'm going with her and we're going sky and grace. Our daughter's going to go with us and we're going to go skydiving. Why? Because she wants to. And if you see her in her big, huge power wheelchair and she uses Morse code to communicate and, you know, back and forth dots, dashes with her head and, and kind of a, her voice is this Stephen Hawking voice that she okay. uses in her computer. So when you see her, the thought of her going skydiving is as far away as you could possibly get from reality. And damned if she's not going skydiving. And that's awesome. And she's actually taken me, you know, yes. <laughs> you know that, that people are people are people, no matter 
you know, what their situation is on the outside. You know, have you I'm, ever skydived? I have skydived okay. several times, yeah. Okay. And so. I just, I know that I have to wear black pants. Because okay. there's probably a pretty good P factor. Probably. <laughs> that and budget jumping. <laughs> so the, uh, so this idea of adventure overcoming, uh, starting to mentor people, starting to speak, you know, um, in front of groups, that kind of led to, a, a career pathway and that yeah. pathway uh, led to, you know, speaking engagements for not just people in wheelchairs, but for students, for community groups. Talk a little bit about, you know, how that pathway emerged and then how did it lead to becoming a real estate agent? Got it. So I very rarely speak to groups of people with disabilities. I, I never have. My audience has always been the mainstream. And if there's people with disabilities in the audience, then, you know, great. Because my message isn't about disability. It's about overcoming adversity and leadership and goal setting and asking for help and all these other things that I've talked about over the years. So I started by talking to kids. It's an organization called Think First, and it's a brain and spinal cord injury prevention program. And it was sponsored by the Pediatric Neurosurgeons of America. And they got together and put a really excuse me for saying boring, um, assembly together. You being a principal know how good assemblies can and can't, you know, might oh, yes. not be. <laughs> so their assembly was a nurse who was wonderful, who would start the presentation. Then she would show a movie and slides, and then they would do all of these things. And then at the end, they had an interactive part of the presentation where they brought in a survivor speaker who got a brain or spinal cord injury from doing something dumb usually. And then that person told their story. And when I sat back and I was actually in the hospital and Think First approached me in the hospital because they were like, hey, you did something dumb. You might be one of our speakers. But it got me out of the hospital. So I got to go watch two assemblies down in Portland and thought, oh, man, I can do that. I can tell my story. And at that time, I didn't even realize or I hadn't come to grips with the fact that my crash was my fault. I, I just mm. didn't know enough about it. I was still kind of in denial with that. But when I got out of the hospital and came to Seattle, we found there was a Think First program in Seattle. So... I went and knocked on their door and said, hi, I want to be one of your speakers. And that's what we did. The, it was the nurse and the movie and the slides and then me. And immediately I realized that the kids were only listening to me. They didn't watch the movie. Yeah. They weren't paying attention to the slides. They didn't even watch the nurse. And I went to the Think First program and said, hey, let's bust this out. Let's change this up a little bit. How about I run the assembly? And we did things like we would drop a melon to show what would happen if he didn't have a helmet on. And, you know, I brought in a spinal, a big spine with me to show how the spinal cord works and, you know, really interactive stuff with the kids. And immediately the kids were paying attention because we made it fun. And it was me joking around and talking about wetting my pants. And, <laughs> um, and I turned the Think First assembly around with some help of others to, to build out a really cool assembly. And then one day the national think first program came and watched my new assembly because I didn't use the movie and I didn't use the slides and I didn't even have the nurse. It was just me doing a cool assembly about safety and choices How dare and attitude. <laughs> and they told me to stop and that I couldn't do it anymore. And I went, did you guys just see, we just had a 700 kid standing ovation. I have to stop. So I called my dad, who's my CPA and said, dad, I think I need to start my own company. And he said, come on into the office, Bear. So I went in, and he went, you got to pick a name. And I was like, I don't know. I wanted it. Like something rock and roll, something fun. I was like, well, let's see. I talk and I roll. There we go. And my dad looked at me from across his desk and went, what? 
And I went, that's it. The name of my company is Talk and Roll Enterprises. That's awesome. And I started it in 1994. And you still, that's still in I still do it. Yeah, yes. yeah. It's not as much my career now. For a while it was. I was doing, because I moved from, so to answer your question, I moved from kids, and then kids went to the principal who then had a rotary club, and then I spoke to the rotary club, and the next thing you know, I'm doing Alaska Airlines, and now I'm in Boeing, and then Microsoft came, and I started doing corporate gigs, and then I started traveling a lot. And I got into this international travel circuit with my public speaking and it was my career for many years it was super fun i did a keynote for a company called marketplace sotheby's international realty um it's an affiliate of the largest real estate company in the world basically sotheby's and they were a a newer uh, group in the seattle area and my gig was about leadership uh, overcoming adversity and not being afraid to ask for help because realtors are notorious for taking their contacts and sticking them up against their chest because they don't want to share and how important it is to take the strengths of those around you and you're stronger as a group than you are as an individual and I was just rambling on about something and we had had some wine beforehand because I knew some of the people in the audience and at some point the conversation moved into, hey, did you know that accessibility is non-existent in residential real estate? There is no way for a realtor to list a home that has accessibility features. And there is no way for a realtor or a, just a general user looking to buy a home to find accessible features. It's not there. That's huge, by the way. It's massive. That's a huge epiphany. Yeah. Well, and I was just, I tried to buy a house that had accessibility features and we just ended up looking for ramblers because that was the closest thing that we could find, not knowing anything, you know, in terms of real estate. And I threw the challenge out and was kind of joking actually. And about a month later, the president of Marketplace Sotheby's, Chad Schreiner, called me up and said, Hey, you know what, Barry? I was thinking about uh, what you said and let's go grab coffee. So we went and met the pizza coop and over lunch, he said, You're right. I've looked, there is no accessibility in real estate. At that time, the state of Washington had one button for a listing agent to, to list. So they could say, this home is in this school district. It's in this dis, um, in this county. It's got three bedrooms and two bath. And here are all the statistics of the home. And there was a button that said disabled access. That's it. And we know that that means what? what? It's like, it's like, I love saying, it's like it was gr- saying it was green. Well, what kind of green? Is it dark green, light green? Is it fluorescent green? I mean, there's 15,000 shades of green. Same thing with disability. What does that mean? So while we were at lunch, Chad got out his credit card and said, you need to be a realtor. And I went, I have to ask Emily before I do anything. Are you kidding me? I don't want to be a realtor. I'm a public speaker. What? And he swiped his card in the local real estate school and said, I just signed you up. You start on Monday. <laughs> and, and I kid you not. That's what happened. And I got home and went, Em, I think I'm going to be a realtor. And it was, it was good timing. I mean, my speaking, I was missing things with the kids cause I was traveling a lot and I had also got, had a job, you know, at a vendor for Microsoft. So, I, you know, that was kind of my day-ish job while I was speaking and, Boom, I went to real estate school and I immersed myself in what real estate was, but I also had to learn what disability was. And then I had to learn what accessibility meant because I thought that I knew, but I only knew based on a manual wheelchair because that was my life. Mm. So what is accessibility? Accessibility is an attitude that allows an environment to change so somebody can do what it is they want to do. Mm. 
that's really what it is. Um, if everybody in the world was in a wheelchair, every building in the world would be wheelchair accessible. If everybody in the world was deaf, the world would be the, the structural world that we create would be different. So what ends up happening is that the general population does not have a disability like mine. Yes. So the build and the attitude of design is not focused on my need as a wheelchair user because the majority of people don't have that need. So accessibility is a mindset and that mindset is what I'm trying to do can be changed. That's cool. So what's been interesting is that we're trying to teach realtors that, but (laughs) one of the challenges is that there's this federal law called the fair housing act, which I love. The fair housing act is there to protect classes of people so they don't get discriminated against. And sometimes the laws like that end up actually being a deterrent for things changing because of fear. So for example, a realtor can't specifically target a protected class and say, Hey, you are a blank of this protected class. I think you should live in this area or in this school district or in this socioeconomic area. And the same thing happens for people with disabilities because I'm not allowed to say, Hey, Andrew, you're, you're a nice handicapped kid. You should live in this housing community over here, which is accessible. That's against the fair housing act. Sure. So what we've had to do was in our training and it's fun. My partner, Tom Minty, he actually works for a different real estate company that I do. And we came together to put this company called able environments together to, to educate realtors on what accessibility meant. And what we did was, we created a training that teaches disability and it explains all the different, not all, many of the different facets of disability. Sure. And then we explain that each could one you, of those disabilities. Could you go through a few of those? Yeah, each one of those disabilities has a need for accessibility. So, for example, I'm in a wheel, manual wheelchair. Yeah. So, here's the obvious I'm looking for a ramp or I'm looking for a one level no lip entry home. I'm looking for wider hallways and doorways that I can access. I'm looking for a kitchen that I can roll my knees right underneath and access what I need to, to access. And all of the uh, appliances should be in a situation that are a level that I can get to. I've got a dear friend who's deaf. She's looking for something completely different. She's still looking for accessibility, but she's looking for accessibility based on a different need than I have. So hers is what she wants an open concept so she can see everything in the house because she can't hear and she has young children. Mm. She wants when the door opens for a light to flash because if somebody walked in the front door and she was in the other room, she wouldn't know. She's looking for, you know, a video recorder that's on the gate of their property. So when somebody gets to the gate and they hit the button that says, Hey, I'm here. She can see it. Not because she can't hear it. And then my good friend Clark, who's blind, you know, he's looking for a totally different concept in his house. He, you know, stairs are okay, but he wants handrail, even though he would rather have a one level home. So you don't have to worry about stairs, but also in his home, um, there's audio cues for things and he doesn't, he, he can't see. So if you've got a microwave that's flat and all the buttons are flat. Oh yes. He can't tell which button he's pushing. So, and that's just an example of the types of things that, that the need is there, the accessibility need based on either the disability or the physical situation, because it's not always disability. Some people are just getting older. You know, it was at 10,000 baby boomers are turning 65 every day for the next 11 years. And every single one of those baby boomers 
at some point the knees are going to start giving up. So they actually have a need for accessibility, not based on the disability, just based on, you know, on their specific needs. So it's been a really interesting project. I, I wasn't prepared to learn as much as I was learning. And now we're ch- turning that around and, and training realtors on what it means because most realtors, and I'm going to stereotype for a minute, yes. most realtors idea, if you say accessibility, they think wheelchair ramp, they think grab bars. Yep. And that's it. It's so much bigger than that. So much bigger. I think that's the one thing I appreciate of, of you and I uh, talking is definitely you've opened my eyes on accessibility and and when you research accessibility there are products out there that are so cool that could lift a a heavy um like a mixer where it just you flip a switch you pull it up and you're able to use it you don't have to pick it up because it's hard to pick up a heavy mixer if you're in a chair or if you've got let's say um you know if you are aging place living and Bending over and grabbing that thing isn't uh, going to be easy anymore. Right. But but then there's also being able to elevate or lower the counter. That way you can use it in a variety of ways. Even like, I think uh, one of the examples was, let's say if you have little kids and grandma is helping them and grandma can't stand. So, so she, she sits and you lower the counter and grandkids can now can stand right next to her and help make dinner. Right. And I think that is one it's it's accessible but it's also creating community and it's also creating right just the idea that engaging families different where no one's left out yeah well it's it's universal design is what it's called and universal design is actually a set of standards that make a home or property or or business usable for the most number of people um, because there's always outliers that have a specific need, but generally we found this beautiful kitchen that actually had a, it had a stair step counter. So there was a lower counter for the mom who was in a wheelchair. There was a midsize counter for the kids. And then there was a tall counter for the husband who was like six, three. But when you looked at the kitchen, you thought, Oh, this is a beautiful design. You would have no idea that that was actually specifically designed for a family that had three different heights. Wow. That's <laughs> crazy. So, so there's other really that's cool awesome. things that, again, the attitude of design and getting architects and builders to think mm. it through. You know, we have a, we have a housing community in the Seattle area that I won't mention that is 55 and over. And if you drive through that community, every single home in that community has two steps to get in it. Wow. Oversight. Yeah. So it's educating builders Hey, there's going to be, it's not just about a wheelchair guy who needs an accessible home. Accessibility is a mindset that if you're going to build a 55 number community, well, do it right. Don't have steps right. to get into yeah, the house. Absolutely. You know, you're not just putting a grab bar in the bathroom. Um, and that's, that's the old school stereotype that accessibility is ugly and that, you know, that you don't, nobody would want a house that has, you know, handicapped features in it. And, and, and that's just not the case anymore. There, there's luxury in accessibility when it comes to specifically, you know, talking in residential yes. real estate. Yes. If you were to uh, educate the community about not only from design of builders who are building homes for maybe 55 and older communities, as well as just the standard home where there's going to be more people with maybe different needs because we are getting older and then, but also for the realtors. So there's a couple of, there's the designer, there's the builder and then there is the realtor. And because I think one of the things is 
when you don't know, you ignore it. That's right. One of the things I, I liked what you said earlier was like, uh, I need to humble myself and ask for help. That's and right. that's a huge piece about, I need help with this. And if you're a realtor and you don't know, you got to reach out. Yeah. The, there's also a fear of saying the wrong thing. <clears throat> and in today's day and age, if you say the wrong thing, you can get hammered socially. Yes. I mean, hammered. So there is a, an understandable fear that a realtor has that they might not want to work with somebody with a disability because they're afraid that they're going to say the wrong thing because they've never met anybody with a disability. Sure. And that's totally understandable. Um, I've been interviewing lots of people with different disabilities and situations lately, and I've asked all of them the same question. How do you want people to treat you? And how do you want people to communicate with you? Because we have lots of different communication styles. You know, we've been talking about ASL and we've been talking about my friend Tanya who uses Morse code and we've got, you know, quads and paras and deaf and blind and developmental disabilities and all these different aspects of communication that are different. And I've found that asking is the best way to overcome that fear. And even in my relationships, I mean, my mm. friends and my wife, if they didn't ask me something about my specific situation, then... For one, I didn't know they didn't know. And for two, they'll never get an answer unless they ask. Absolutely. So by admitting that, hey, I don't know, and saying, hey, I, you know, Andrew, I don't know what it's like to have this situation you're in. Can you just enlighten me a little bit so you and I can communicate about it? And then that big elephant in the room of, I don't want to say the wrong thing is gone. And you know what? And give me grace. If I say the wrong thing, I'm not trying to offend you. I've just... I've now been educated. Yes. You know, and that's one thing that I, I've been learning in this show, filming for, for Barry's Accessible World. I'm highlighting these really cool things that, that the people are, are allowing me with my disability to experience. You know, I'm in a racing, you know, off-road rally cars at Dirtfish, and I just got an amazing tour of the Space Needle because the accessibility upgrades they've done at mm. the Space Needle in Chihuly are off the charts. Um, you know, the deaf dance I was mentioning. Yes. You know, I'm hoping to go to a Seahawks game with a gentleman who's blind to go experience what that's going to be like. I'm going skydiving with one with cerebral palsy. So I'm learning accessibility on the extreme from all these different people with different disabilities. And I'm finding that in educating the general population about what is a disability, what does accessibility mean, you know, what's the attitude and the mindset behind it, um, I'm finding that there's this fear of the unknown that that people are nervous about saying the wrong thing. And I'm also learning that people with disabilities need to have a little bit more grace and allow people to make a mistake. Yes. And... And with those two things happening at the same time, we're going to have a lot more forward-thinking conversations. Absolutely. Because there's, uh, there's the, the anger culture right now of how dare you. And a lot of times that how dare you isn't necessary. You know, what's really fun is when we step into a new organization that we're you know, approaching for the show, the, the first, for example, the, the Mopop, the, the, Museum of Pop Culture, the old Jimi Hendrix Museum. I say old Jimi Hendrix Museum because that's how it started, the EMP. When I went in and started talking to them about maybe filming there, immediately they went, oh, we're so sorry our accessibility isn't where we want it to be. And that's the mindset that I'm getting from a lot of organizations. Mm. They're, they're apologizing because they don't want to get in trouble. And my mindset is, oh, I don't really care. You haven't done it. We're talking today 
so you can make it more accessible. You know, and LeMay, the Autumn Museum down in, in Tacoma, which is south of Seattle, they reached out and we went down and got to walk through their entire museum, coolest cars in the world, yes. because they want to make their museum accessible, but they don't know how to do it. And again, the first thing that happened when we walked in with the camera crew was, oh, we're so sorry we're not accessible. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm thanking you for bringing us in. Yes. So there's this level of grace on both sides that that needs to happen for this communication to go forward healthy. Those who have disabilities and those who are in the situation where, you know, you don't know what my experience is of being in the chair until you ask. And if you say the wrong thing, am I going to be offended? No, I'm just going to educate you. Maybe next time you should say it a little bit different. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's, we're finding that. And, and my, you know, executive producer, you know, Michael, he has been my best friend since we were little kids. And he's learning that too, that, wow, you know, both sides of the fence when it comes to whether we're interviewing somebody with a disability or interviewing somebody who's trying to help a person with a disability or interviewing somebody who's never ever even met somebody with a disability that they knew, you know, they all have to, you know, come together to say, hey, we really don't know how to talk to each other, but we're learning. <laughs> and we need that in society in general. Yes. We need it everywhere. Yeah. When it comes to community, when it comes to politics, when it comes to how we govern, we need that ability to, to seek understanding. That's right. There are more differences within groups than between groups. That's very true. And so when you think about people who are all in a wheelchair, there's more differences between them than people who are not in a wheelchair. And I mean, a- it's true... Blind, deaf, people, it's the same exact thing. Here's a great example. So this kid that I, uh, we just met, um, he, he's very rapidly going blind. Mm. And he has a very rare disease. And you know, eight months ago, he was absolutely normal, fine, thought maybe he needed glasses. And it's now progressed to where he's very close to being totally blind, and he will be. And he got to go race cars at Dirtfish. Now, they didn't let him drive, but it didn't matter because I've never seen a smile bigger on a kid's face mm. than, than him coming around the track, <laughs> rallying off-road. And he said something that was so amazing to me. He said that they were in a, in a department store and that he was asking one of the people that worked there about a technology that they had that would help him, like a screen reader for his phone. And the person who was working at that store didn't know anything about that technology, so went and got a gentleman who works there in a wheelchair and brought him over. Because you both have disabilities, so (laughs) he should be able to talk to each other. And I guess the guy in the wheelchair was like, why did you get me? I don't know anything about this. And he was like, well, you guys are, you know. Wow. So, and it. And it was an it was an honest mistake. Yeah, I, I, you know, and I I giggle at it just because that's the kind of thing that happens. Not being mad at the at the kid who went and got the guy in a wheelchair. Sure, because he was doing his best. You know, and it was just putting this umbrella of disability together. Yeah, and, and I, I, it makes me laugh because it's kind of funny, but yet he was trying to do the right thing. Yes. So I can't be mad at him. But it's just an interesting perspective that you know we you, cultures will lump each other into a group when just like you said, that group has as many differences within it than any group does. Absolutely. You know, it's just sometimes, you know, stereotypes put, push that together. Yes. So it's, it's really interesting being and, and to see it part of that. And I, I'm sure, I'm sure you've experienced that in a variety of, of ways, but 
it, it it is interesting when when you don't know what you don't know. Oh yeah, and you make massive assumptions. Oh yeah, you in Wilkshire will know how to help this kid who's going blind. Yeah, well, and here's a perfect example. When I first got into real estate, I was trying to learn what accessibility meant to to these other you know, people that also have disabilities that are different than mine. And I, I ended up going out to lunch with a couple of quadriplegic friends and neither of them can use their arms at all. So they use their mouths to drive their chairs. And I asked them a question I thought I knew the answer to, because I had this huge assumption that <laughs> that was, I was wrong. And I said, so what's your Barbie dream wedding house? So the first one, if you could design everything that you want in your house, what would it be? And the first guy said, well, I want a totally wheelchair accessible house. And I, it was a yeah, duh. And he said, no, I want to be able to go to every square inch of my house. Even though I'm not going to do laundry, someday I'm going to have kids and my kids are going to do laundry and I want to be able to go with them so I can help them do it even though I can't specifically physically help them do it. Mm. And I'm like, oh, super cool. That's what I expected, but even more information. And then I went to the second guy and he was like, no, dude, I want a three-story house. And I started laughing and went, ha you're phony. He goes, no, I really want a three-story house. I went, you're a quadriplegic and a huge power chair. Why do you want a three-story house? He said, because the main level is going to be totally wheelchair accessible, 100%. When my mom comes over, and she comes over a lot, and my caregivers come over, when they're not in my square, in my face doing something for me, I don't want them in my square footage. I want them gone. I want mm. them to go upstairs. And they can climb stairs. So I want my caregiver and my mom to be able to access the upstairs of my house. And I went, and the third floor, he said equipment. I've got lots of huge equipment. And I don't want that equipment wasting my square footage. It can be downstairs in the storage area because anybody who's going to be caregiving for me can walk or they won't have that job. Sure. So I want a three-story house. And I, my mind blew. Yes. And I, oh, my gosh. I just had a quadriplegic tell me that he wanted a totally inaccessible, partially accessible three-story house. Wow, that was awesome. It showed me that I didn't know anything about accessibility. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I had to learn because just like you said, there can be six people in wheelchairs all laying next to each other, sitting next to each other with the same injury or the same, you know, a level of paralysis. But you know what? I raced wheelchairs for a long time. My shoulders hurt more. I don't want to put my shoulders above my head. The kid next to me is 22 and he doesn't care. So he can put his shoulders above his head and the woman next to him, well, you know, she's got this and that. So... I had to learn that accessibility was relative. Well, even depend on where the fracture in the spine is. So that might mean that your your arms might not be able to do certain things because of the the high degree or the the depending on the on which vertebra. That's so, correct. Because I remember knowing someone they unfortunately were in an accident and I believe underneath their arms and their I want to say their pinky that they, they, they don't have feeling. Correct. And so their arms are different than different mobility than yours. So their needs are going to be so much different. Oh yeah. I met a gentleman who he, he has a totally wheelchair accessible house, except for the front because there's five steps to get to it. And I don't know, what are you talking about? And he said, Oh, well, Barry, don't take offense to this, but, I don't like people seeing me in my wheelchair. He said, I hit an, stepped on an IED and I blew both my legs off and I used prosthetic legs. He said, so when I'm out in public, I use my prosthetic legs. When I'm in my house, I use my wheelchair. 
but I don't want anybody to see me in a wheelchair. I was like, I'm not taking offense. That's cool. So he actually has a totally wheelchair accessible house, but five steps to get to it. <laughs> and I was like, okay, that's a new one. How am I going to sell that? Is that? Interesting. Yeah. So I think this <clears throat> highlights the idea of, uh, let's go right back to the realtor. Yep. Advocating for their client, asking questions. That's right. And it's okay to ask questions. That's it. Because five different people in a wheelchair, you have five different answers. So therefore you can't make assumptions that they all have the same exact needs. I would like you to get into a little more detail of the MLS listings and what that information is now available compared to before Barry Long got his nose in, in the middle of it, because I think that's really important information and how can that make progress to help realtors and clients? So the MLS is actually called the multiple listing service. And what it is, is it's the house for all the data of real estate. So we're going to sell your house in and it's got X amount of bedrooms and X amount of, of bathrooms. And it's got this much square footage and it's in this school district and it's in this County. And it's got all of these different things. And all of that is data that lives either in the MLS or in the tax County records or in the superintendent of public instruction, public instructions, um, you know, school district, data. So all that information is out there. <clears throat> and then when I'm going to sell your house, I take all that information and I bring it together and I put it into the MLS. So then when somebody else goes out and is searching for that home, they can find all that data on whatever website they want to search on, whether it's realtor.com or whatever website. So what the lacking aspect of it from accessibility was, is that there was the button I talked about, yes. disabled access. So what we did was Tom and I, went to the MLS, the Northwest Multiple Listing Service, which was fantastic because we approached them with the concept of, hey, we want to make this better. And they said, we don't know how to make it better. And we went, well, that's what we know. So they gave us access to the back end of their database. And we got to go in and learn how that data was collected. And then we came up with a new set of criteria for accessibility. And the problem that we had was is disability is relative. Yes. There is no perfect accessible home. So we broke a property into sections. So there's approach, there's entrance, there's living area, bedroom, bathroom, utilities. There's one for elevators, lifts, and ramps. And we broke the property down into sections. And then a realtor can now take this form that we created. It's called form 6B. I joke about it being 6Berry, but Tom doesn't buy that. <laughs> so the 6B, the realtor can now look at that 6B and say, does this home have any of these criteria um, searchable criteria, does it have any of the searchable criteria that then another realtor could look for to find whether that home is accessible? And then within that form, they can actually go in and get specific. So mm. let's just say, for example, a bathroom. If they check the box that says this home has an accessible bathroom, then they can go in and they can say, does it have a roll in your sink? Does it have a roll in shower? Does it have um, a light flash? So if the front door opens while you're in the bathroom, you know it, you know, for somebody who's, who's deaf mm. or it has all these different accessibility options that a realtor can then check. So then when they list that home, another realtor can say, Hey, I'm looking for all the accessible homes in gig Harbor. And because you've checked the boxes that said that this home is accessible, that other realtor will be able to find it. Nice. So what we, what we found when we first started was either there was a button that said disabled access, or there was a couple of, of MLSs that tried to do the right thing. And they had 400 boxes and realtors are not going to check a box for every single light switch in a home. So we had to really be careful about how much information we allowed the realtor to put into the listing because they wouldn't do it otherwise. So 
we've got it set up that there's there's truly eight searchable criteria and then each one of those then has a section within the document that they can fill out and then that allows the realtor who's looking for accessibility to find it and right now it's not national yet there's only about four states or five states that have it um, that we've given other states our accessibility um, criteria but what's really cool for tom and i is that there's this organization called Rezo or Rezo, which is the real estate standards organization. And they own the taxonomy of real estate. So the reason why everybody says bedroom is because if Washington said bedroom and Kansas said BDRM, you now have two data points for the same exact mm, thing. That makes sense. So there's one set of standards across the board. And when we applied to, to Rezo with our new you know, our, our list of accessibility, you know, criteria, they approved it. So now our criteria is the standard nationally. Nice. So realtors and MLSs around the country will hopefully be able to start using our criteria. So eventually the idea is, is that when someone goes to realtor.com, they can check the accessibility button and every MLS in the country is listing the same information. So then they can find that. And that that's the so goal. Cool. So what we're doing now is we're starting to, we're training realtors nationally. We're, we're really close to having a national training set up so people can get their accessibility designation. So they will be an you know, accessibility real estate specialist. And, and then we're setting up a network of realtors around the country that understand accessibility more. You know, the expert is a tough word because as long as they understand a little bit of the back end and then they, they truly understand the need for being able to ask those questions properly then we should be able to help people all over the whole country. So then somebody from, you know, Oklahoma can, you know, come to our website, AML Environments, which is set up now and say, hey, we're looking for a realtor in Oklahoma who knows accessibility and we make a call and then we introduce them and boom, you know, they're, they're now able to find that accessible home that they're looking for. So that's, that's the ultimate goal. And we're working in that direction. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. We're getting a lot closer. So really, uh, if, if let's say a realtor is listening to this podcast, what would you encourage them to do to one explore, but also be that change agent that we talked about earlier? Because it has to start with someone. Education. Um, with what we're doing, we have a three-hour clock hour class in Washington, and this new class uh, I'm hoping to have out by about August that you know realtors around the country will be able to take and it's asking the right questions. I've been on the phone with so many realtors around the country. That's, you know, what I've actually gotten on calls with other realtors and I have nothing to do with their transaction, but I know what questions to ask now, you know, Hey, you've got somebody who has this type of a disability or this type of an accessibility need. Here are the questions that you should ask. And here's an example. I'll yes. ask somebody who's in a wheelchair and this is how you break the ice. Do you get on and off the toilet from the left or from the right when you get out of your wheelchair? Mm. And people will go, what? I'm like, no, seriously, I want you to think about it. When you get out of your wheelchair and you get on the toilet, do you do it from the left side of your chair or the right side? I go, let me explain. Because if you get out of your wheelchair onto the toilet on the right side, and then you use the grab bar there, the toilet needs to be set up on the right side of your bathroom. So if we're looking for a house and the toilet and the bathroom is on the left side of the bathroom, you're going to have to remodel. Mm. Or do you have to remodel? Can you get off of your chair onto the toilet on the left side? And most people do the same thing every single time. They don't think about it, but they do. 
So then I get them thinking, oh my gosh, I, I do only get out of my wheelchair on the right side. Whenever I get onto the couch or if I get into the car, I, I only transfer, my strength transfers this yes. way. Wow, we're really looking for houses that have a bathroom that's got a toilet over on this side, not on that side. So it's there's no right answer to that question, but it makes them think, how do I use my wheelchair or what kinds of things am I looking for? Um, I was just chatting yesterday with a woman whose husband is blind, and she said one of the things that, that he has trouble with is that he's got a cane, and his cane stops him from running any into things that are on the ground. But if there's something that's hanging down, let's say he's in a building and the fire extinguisher is pointing is out. He won't see that. Mm. The cane goes under the fire extinguisher, which is now out an outcrop and bang, he hits his forehead. Mm. So, you know, just asking the, the questions of how does this person who's looking for a home use their environment that allows you to really look you know, at that home and say, is this home, for one, is it accessible for their needs? And if not, is it easily adaptable yes. to their needs? And is this house a visitable home? Now, here's an example. You know, I got a friend. He wants me to come over and go to watch the Super Bowl and hang out at his house, but he doesn't want me to stay. The bedrooms are all up on the second floor. <laughs> the you know, accessibility is on the main level. I can go to the kitchen because that's where you hang out. I can go to the bath, you know, the bathroom or a bathroom. His home is visitable for me to come and check out, but it doesn't need to be accessible. So, you know, there's different levels of what is the need of this home, but does that home have the adaptability? Because there are very few perfectly accessible homes out there. They're just, yeah. and, you know, figuring out a, you know, part of what we've done with the MLS is we've allowed buyers to find a home that's easily adaptable to make what it, what it is they need for their accessibility. That's really cool. That's going to change the trajectory of supporting people to find homes that 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 match their needs. And that's and the goal. That's awesome. I want people who have some any kind of I say accessibility need, but accessibility is just a feature set when I'm sure. looking at property. I mean, everybody has their own their own desire and their own need and their own want when they're talking about buying a home. You know, it's some people want a bar and, you know, some people want a three car garage and some people want three bedrooms or two bedrooms or some people want accessibility. Yes. You know, so it's just another feature set, which is how we've actually gotten ourselves out of trouble with the Fair Housing Act because mm. we train disability. What is it? Just in general. So every realtor knows, well, gosh, there are lots of different kinds of disability out there. There isn't just an answer of what does disability mean? And then we have a need from disability to accessibility. And now we're talking about a feature set. So That's we're no cool. longer talking about getting in trouble with the Fair Housing Act because we're talking about feature sets feature of a sets, home. Yes. And that feature set could be for a wheelchair need, or it could be for someone with visual impairment or a hearing impairment or a developmental disability or, you know, grandma's, you know, coming over to stay. So we need these things, you know, yes. and that is a feature set of a home. That's cool. Yeah, it's That's pretty cool. awesome. So uh, how can people... Uh, get connected to you? How can they find you? A uh, couple of different ways. Um, from real estate, it's ableenvironments.com. And my partner, Tom, actually started Able Environments before we met. And then when we met, uh, we put put all of our energy into that. So um, we're a referral network for you know people around the country who are looking for accessible homes. And uh, we're also, you know, making some changes on the front end as well. And even, you know, pushing some legislature um, in that direction. 
Uh, so ableenvironments.com. And then the show that I've been talking about is Barry's Accessible World. And right now the, the, the actual URL and the, the website just says coming soon. Coming because soon. Because we're, we're real close. Yeah. So I'll make sure uh, I'll put the uh, in the show notes that information so people yeah. can find you. Cool. But also, uh, I can't wait to see how this uh, evolves into uh, even more features. But you, you mentioned legislature that you are seeking to change. What specifically are you looking to change? You know, it's, it's educating. So when I say legislature, it's educating the legislators of what we're doing. Um, we're not actually trying to change legislature. I'm not trying to add accessibility. I'm not trying to make a requirement because I don't think there should be a requirement for residential real estate. There's the ADA, which is lovely and wonderful for the public consumption. There's the Fair Housing Act that's already established and protects um, people from being discriminated against. There's local governance, you know, of, of, of different um, building code, uh, requirements. And then there's also, I mean, CCNRs and things like that, that, that are involved. So when, when I say legislature, Tom and I, um, are just educating people that, that this is out there. So they're aware of it. So they're not afraid of it okay. that, you know, everything that we're doing with accessibility and residential real estate is a positive, you know, it's not, we're going to get you in trouble because you haven't done it yet. But we also want there to be a little bit of grace that if a realtor does the, the, the wrong thing with the right intentions, yeah. You know, that, you know, it's, it's okay if they don't do it again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, hey, thank you so much for uh, uh, the conversation, but also uh, accessibility is, uh, is becoming more and more important. And so, therefore, we need to em- embrace it, but also understand it and uh, be okay to ask for help. I love that. Exactly. Hey, thank you again. You and bet. Thank you, you have a glorious day. I will. You too. Thanks again.